fastest growing religious group in America is made up of people who say that they have no religion whatsoever. It now makes up 25% of the whole population of America and is growing at approximately 25% over the last five years. So there are now 33 million people among us who say of themselves that they have no religion. But some of them, as you know, many of them perhaps, would say that they're spiritual. Now, when I was a young minister, we used to say that these people were nominal. Ever heard that term? Nominal Christians? Well, what that meant was when most of Americans were affiliated with some sort of church, you had multiple tens of millions of Catholics, and I'm not picking on anybody. It just so happens that the biggest group of Christians in America are Catholics. Next would be Baptist of all sorts, and then next Methodist. But they're the sort of the three giants of American religion. So it would not have been at all uncommon for someone to say of themselves, I'm a Catholic, or I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Methodist. But today, as Christian culture wanes, and as America becomes increasingly secular, it is now more convenient and comfortable to just say, I'm nothing. I have no religion at all. But some will say, I'm spiritual. But tonight, as you can see, I'm dressed up. And I am dressed up for confirmation. Red is the color that the church uses to signify two things, especially one is celebration. But the other, most poignantly, is the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And so if you think about it, these are sort of cool symbols. Like, if we get lucky tonight, I'll actually be preaching under the authority of the Holy Spirit. Like, if we get lucky, <laughs> maybe this will, like, be, you know, bring some anointing. And then green just happens to be the color of the year. And so, you know, green is for ordinary time. It symbolizes Christian growth and discipleship. And so tonight we have this mix of confirmation. And here's what you need to hear. Confirmation calls us to something much deeper much more profound and much more specific than I'm spiritual. We are not confirming people to a church tonight. People are saying, I am apprenticing myself to Jesus. And I'm publicly stating that, that I trust Jesus. I think he's brilliant. I think he knows everything that one would need to know about human life on earth today. I think Jesus not only knows what it means to be human in God's image, but he embodied it, and he announced it, and he's demonstrating it. Now, the church is important, don't get me wrong, but the church is derivative. God has had this vision since Adam and Eve to have a cooperative people. When he created Adam and Eve, he didn't say to them, now just go relate, just go have community. No, he said something like, Hunter paraphrase, look at this amazing new creation I've just done. Come work with me in it, come be with me in it. Adam, name the animals. Adam and Eve, rule with me, is what he actually invited them to do. And so I just sort of paraphrase that to say that God has always been looking for cooperative friends. 
And when the world goes astray, he calls Abram and he says, Abram, will you be my cooperative friend? And out of you, I'm going to make this nation of people who are going to be sort of like my cosmic first responders. And you're going to be the salt and light of the earth demonstrating what humanity is supposed to be like in my image. And so it's that intention of God. And we have this word that Dennis read to us in the gospel this morning, or tonight, this phrase, the kingdom of God. What the heck is that? It's this odd phrase. You know, we all know what it means to be born again or something like that, but this is an odd phrase. Well, the kingdom of God, simply put, is the extension of God's will. It's the expression of his being. It's the spaces and places and what God wants done is done. So you have a queendom or a kingdom. You can move your hands and feet. You're simply expressing your will. Well, God, when he expresses his will, he does things like, let there be light. And there was light. That's what happens when he expresses his will. Let there be land and seas. And there is, simply because he intended it. So when we say that God intended to have a people, that's not religious talk. That's not church talk. It's not a recruiting tool. It's not a way to get people to work in the Sunday school or the parking lot. This is the eternal purpose of God to have a people. And that's what we're confirming tonight. It's that as he rules and reigns, as he does what he does on the earth, that does create a people. And that people now has organized itself, as of course it would over 2,000 years. And so now we think we have this the church that we think of in its institutional forms. And don't hear that as a slam on the church. It's not at all. Do you know what's at the root of that word, institution? I should say I spent probably a decade of my life studying religious institutionalization, so something I know a little bit about. Right at the heart of that word, institution, is the notion of being situated. Well, what else would the church be but situated? It has to have a physical, tangible space on the earth. What good would it be to have a a vision for healing and not create the hospital? I mean, you can have the most beautiful vision of bringing eyesight or fixing cleft palates or whatever in some remote country. But if you don't build the hospital, if you don't somehow situate and make concrete that vision, well, the vision's just abstract. It doesn't mean anything. So we shouldn't wonder or be appalled that the church is situated on the earth, that it has a physical, you know, manifestation and normally shaped with these kinds of beams and high ceilings and stuff. It shouldn't bother us. Don't suppose it should bother us that in Nashville, Tennessee is the headquarters of the Southern Baptist Convention. It just is. But tonight, in just a few minutes, we're going to line up six or eight people here. And what they're doing relates to the church, of course. And I suppose one could say relates to me as bishop in some way, as like the sort of human representation of this institutional church. But it is derivative. It's secondary. When I was in graduate school, any of you have been in graduate school and had to turn in a thesis, you learned this word, penultimate. I'd certainly never heard a word like penultimate. What the heck's penultimate? Well, I realize it's the draft you turn in before the ultimate draft, the last draft. And that's, that's the way you need to hold what's happening here tonight. That, yeah, we're doing this in our best church garb. And the church is not set aside. But the church is not ultimate. 
What's ultimate is what Dennis read to us. Andrew, John, come follow me. This is about people proclaiming in public that I am a follower of Jesus. I have made him my master, and I have become his apprentice. You know, when Jesus comes preaching the gospel, if we, in fact, hold him in our heart as competent, then he says some very interesting things. He doesn't start out with the gospel saying, you damn sinners. You would think he would, right? That he would come to earth and go, dad is really ticked. And I'm here to tell you, but he doesn't. He says these very strange words. If we're to believe what Dennis read to us in the gospel tonight, he says these very odd words, the time has come. Well, what can that mean? The time has come. Well, I'm going to suggest it means something like this. Two words in the Greek New Testament for time. One is chronos, and chronos just simply means time as it unfolds, or, you know, time as it goes around on a clock phase. This word is kairos. Kairos means a special or special point in time, kind of a pregnant moment in time. And so what Jesus is saying is actually deeply profound. He's saying something like all the preliminaries have been taken care of. It goes like this. Adam and Eve, and the fall, and Noah, and Abraham, and the patriarchs, and the judges, and kings, and prophets, and John the Baptist, and bam comes Jesus and says, all the preliminaries have been fulfilled, and God's rule and reign is now with you in a way that all those things were leading up to. He actually knows what he's talking about. Jesus didn't arise out of the blue. Jesus arose precisely out of that story and in continuity with that long story. And when you come tonight to give your life to him, you're giving your life to him in the context of that story, not in the context merely of a church, though the church counts. And of course, she matters, but penultimate. Google it when you get home, penultimate. So the time has come. Well, what's special about the time? The kingdom of God is at hand. That is to say that God is now present to human beings in Jesus in a way that he had not been since man was banished from the garden. So man's banished from the garden, and you've got this ongoing tension even between God and his people. You've got all the ups and downs, right, of the Old Testament. And then Jesus comes and says, God is now with you through me. I'm embodying and announcing to you and demonstrating through my works what it's like when God rules. Like when God finally gets his way. See, this is, why, this is one of the reasons confirmation is so important is that right now he lets you have your little will. He lets me have my little will. And he pretty much lets us do what we want to do. Right now, God predominantly deals with us according to our present character. This is why listening is a test of our character. If you cannot hear what Jesus is saying tonight, that ought to alert you to the present posture of your heart, your mind, your soul. It always is when Jesus talks, a test of our character. Can we really hear him? And he says, this is what's happening. The kingdom of God has come near. And then he gives compromands, compromands, two things to do. Repent and believe. Now, these are very simple terms. I know they get all mucked about, but they're very simple terms. Remember that story I just told you? 
Well, for some of us, that story has its direction, and we're going this way. Jesus says, notice that. Notice where your life is out of phase with what I'm doing. That's essentially what repent means. It means look at and notice and then make adjustments and begin to align your life with this thing that I'm doing. And then he asks the confirmands tonight and all of us to believe. Now, believe doesn't mean what you might happen or what might happen to you if you're taking a theological pop quiz. Believe in the New Testament means something more like this. Place your trust in. Place your confidence in. It's a behavioral notion, not a cognitive one. It means act as if you believe something's true. So, confirmands, that's what I'm going to be asking you. Because Christianity is not a creed. Christianity is not a code of conduct. Christianity, for all its beautiful symbolism, is not a system of symbols. Christianity at its heart is a personal relationship. A person, we just heard the gospel read to us, a person called people. And some of those people confirmed their belief in him by saying, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. This is what Christianity is about. These were concrete persons specifically named. Right, are you feeling me here? This isn't just like an in general, you know, this wasn't like, you know, Jesus showed up on a ancient Oprah show and said, well, there's a new thing happening. Don't you perceive it? You know, can't you see it? No, it was concrete and specific. It was Simon, Andrew, James, John, and then a very concrete verb. Come. So if you're going to come up here tonight and confirm your faith, you are coming in response to the Lord Jesus. Come, and then a very concrete another action. Follow me. See, the reason we know what believe really means in the New Testament is Jesus' own words. At the end of arguably the most beautiful rhetoric in all of the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount, at the end of it, Jesus says, if you hear these words of mine and you only use them in Bible studies, you're like a foolish person who built your house, the life of your, you know, the house of your life on the sand. But if you hear these words of mine and you place your confidence in them, if you trust in them, rely on them and cling to them, interacting with them as if you believe they're true, then you will have a life built on the rock. This is how we know that belief can never for us Christians, especially those of you who are confirming your faith tonight, it can never be merely an intellectual exercise. Of course, it includes our mind. Our minds are never set aside, but it can't be reduced to that. Well, Paul, of course, picks up on this theme of Jesus, as he always does. And for two years, looking for confirmands, he proclaimed and explained everything about the kingdom of God. He tried to persuade people about, what's your text say? Jesus. He tried to persuade people that Jesus knew what he was talking about. But some, he said, wouldn't believe. You know, I get it. I was down in San Diego today teaching a day-long seminar on the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and we had a rather lengthy ministry time, and I got to pray with several people. And you know what I know? 
And I, I, if I go back to when I first started in the ministry as 19, here's what I know. God is humanity's biggest disappointment. Keeping it real, God is humanity's biggest disappointment. There's no one who doesn't have a beef with God. Why'd she die? Why can't she have a baby? Why'd grandma get killed in a car crash? Everybody has a beef with God. And you have to get past that if you're going to say, I place my confidence in you. I place my hope in you. I place my trust in you. See, that's not, a, that's not an airy, um, abstract thing. It's very concrete. James, John, Simon, lay down your nets, come follow me. And they had to decide, do I trust you? Because I got a big beef with God. Our ancestors have been praying for 6,000 years and nothing's happened. And there was this prophecy three or 400 years ago that said that God was about to do a new thing. And it's been silent for three or 400 years. I got a beef with God. I got a beef with Yahweh. What, why? Why did this happen? Why did all these faithful people live and die and nothing happened? Everybody had a beef with God. But at some point, you have to decide. And this is what confirmation does. It says to adult people, do you actually believe? Such that you're willing to bet your life on Jesus. Well, if you've ever known, and I'm honestly not picking on Roman Catholics. It's just that Debbie and I, our first place of ministry, was in a totally ethnic Catholic town. It was just full of Italian and Polish and Irish Catholics. And I can just remember, so I'm not picking on Catholics, I'm really not. But I can just remember so many times, you know, we were only in our early 20s, and most of the people we were ministering to were teenagers. And I can just remember so many angry Italian Catholic moms wagging their fingers at their teenage kids going, how could you do this? You know, they just slept with their boyfriend or whatever. How could you do this? You were baptized. You were confirmed. How could you be on drugs? Well, because confirmation is not magic. The church is not the dispenser of salvation. The church does nothing magic. We're not into superstition. This is a deeply personal thing where somebody hears the calling of Almighty God and hears them say, your little life counts in this really big story. And if you'll just notice where your life is at, if you'll turn and you'll come follow me, then you'll be with me forever. And what we read tonight, right up to the end of the ages. So church is important, but confirmation is to Jesus in his kingdom. For Christianity, as I said, is a personal relationship with Jesus. He's Savior, Lord, and Master. We are, as his saved people, make this relationship concrete, by becoming his worshipers, we become his follower, disciple, student, apprentice, whichever word you like. So as we move now to confirmation, I just want you to hear that Jesus is calling for followers who really believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life. That as we move into this ever more pluralistic and secular culture of ours, where if you think Bill Maher's bad, give it five years. There'll be a hundred of him and ten times worse. Jesus wants to know tonight, do you really think he's the way, the truth, 
the life? And are you willing to do what he invited his followers to do? Which is to seek first his kingdom. And all these other things he said will be added to you as well. Amen.